here, Jess. Well, we're recording on uh, what? What is today? Thursday. So national championships Monday, and that would put us about four days out, I believe, from uh, the one we've been waiting on since. Well, depends on when you think the Big Ten season really started. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Hang Out in the Holy Land, episode sixteen. Uh, I'm George Eisner, joined by my co-host Gene Ross, and uh, we, like I just explained to you, we're four days out from the big one. Uh, some of us have been waiting since August, some since October, some since long before that. Some gave up waiting at all just because they uh, didn't know if we were going to get to this point, but after what's been an extremely crazy 2020 and a, a arguably equally strange start to 2021 gene we uh we're finally here on the on the precipice of the national championship how excited are you are you feeling good about it yeah you know i'm feeling good i'm pretty excited about it um it's obviously been a uh, a bit of a crazy week both in the ohio state world and the world at large but you know like you said we're a couple days out from the national championship game a game that many people have been looking forward to you know obviously coming into this season uh, one of the team's main goals was that revenge game against Clemson. And, you know, that goal has now been accomplished, but obviously still the big one at the end of the year that brings home the rings is what lies ahead. And so, you know, they're they're obviously excited. They're ready to go. We're ready to go. And uh, it should be a fun game between two of the uh, best teams in the country on Monday. Looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah, I think most of us kind of expected this outcome. Not, uh, not too many people were uh, big on... Notre Dame being able to pull off the upset against Bama. I think there's a reasonable amount of Ohio State fans that were optimistic about beating Clemson that probably expected to be in this position. Um, I I was always optimistic that this team could make it back uh, just because they returned so many of their good players from uh, the team that could have made it last year. Uh, it was always just a question to me of whether they were going to have to go through Clemson to get there or not. I didn't feel great about their odds of doing it uh, even before the season started. Um, I actually I picked them to lose on uh, the the preview show we did for the uh, college football playoff semifinal, um, but they powered through and they're here now. Um, but before we dive into Bama and you know kind of looking at the national championship uh, in greater detail, I know we did a uh, in our last show we kind of did a more of a celebratory episode uh didn't try to get too far in the weeds in terms of you know detailed analysis and breakdown of the clemson game but i know we've both rewatched a couple different times now um and i'm just you know before we transition to breaking down bama is there any other final nuggets of insight or anything you noticed from the game that you wanted to enlighten the audience with yeah so i i think the first you know first time you see the game the hardest thing to take in is really what the defense is doing at the time. It's kind of hard to get a feel for the kind of schemes and um, just ways they're attacking the opposing offense when you're watching the game in real time, especially when, you know, like I do, I write about the game, so I'm kind of writing as the game's going on. So it's hard to pay attention to every little aspect. So I do enjoy going back and rewatching and seeing the things I missed the first time around. And my biggest takeaway on the defensive side of the ball was kind of a, a weird formation that we didn't really see until the Clemson game. They had moved, Marcus Williamson had been the team's slot corner pretty much all year. And in the Clemson game, they moved him to one of their high safeties. They were using him and Proctor as their two high safeties. And then 
on their nickel package when they needed a slot corner. They had actually freshman Lathan Ransom lining up as the slot corner, or they had just uh, Josh Proctor kind of playing a little bit lower in the box if they were in a zone in that same formation. And so it was interesting to see that. And then the second thing was that Baron Browning, uh, he started in the team's like base defense on the, the first drive where Clemson kind of ran it down their throats and scored quickly. And after that, they replaced him with Justin Hilliard in that base package the rest of the way. And Baron Browning still wound up playing more snaps, but uh, Justin Hilliard was the main Sam linebacker in their base defense the rest of the way. So I thought that was interesting. Obviously, both of them played well, but I guess they just saw something that they liked more with Hilliard in that role. And then, you know, Barrett Browning still played more snaps just because they used the nickel package so much with Clemson being a pass-heavy offense and having to pass so much down late. So... You know, two things that I just thought were interesting to see from a personnel standpoint. Obviously, these weren't things that Ohio State got to work out in games this season. They kind of had to just watch film and do it in practice and see how it works out and just kind of hope it worked. And it, it did work really well. Their passing defense and their running defense both looked really good against Clemson. And it'll be interesting to see if they continue to use those same formations against Alabama moving forward, depending on, you know, what happens with their personnel going forward. Well, the Lathan Ransom thing is interesting because he he got some burn uh, at the end of the Big Ten Championship as well. It's good to see that they're get, they're finding a way to salvage Williamson too because that we know he was uh, one of the guys that really did not have a good game against Indiana. He was someone that was you know routinely not really getting their assignment done correctly, which is disappointing for a guy that's a senior. Um, but if they're, you know, they're, they're having to get creative with their situation at safety, uh, they gradually figured this out over the season and, uh, you know, they've, they made the adjustments necessary, whether it was putting, you know, Proctor back there, or, uh, now experimenting with Williamson and some other players. I I'm glad that they, you know, kind of realized whether, you know, we haven't, um, whether it's health reasons or whatever else they've you know, slowly transitioned away from Marcus Hooker being their guy there. And I think that that, especially after the Indiana game, was something that they were definitely going to have to do. Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, Marcus Hooker, I don't think, played a single, like, actual defensive snap. I think he only played on special teams. And I don't know if that is health-based or just clearly a coaching decision, but either way, they've clearly, the man that started at safety for most of the season is no longer in that role for whatever reason well one of the things we were grateful about after the indiana game was that the coaching staff was acknowledged that personnel changes needed to be made um that they were going to have to make pretty uh drastic adjustments in order to correct the mistakes that they had in that game and they you know seemed to have uh, abided by doing that um based on who they've been rolling out there so you know sorry to uh marcus hooker you know we we, we liked a lot of the stuff that your brother did here, but, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll see some more out of you uh, in the future that, you know, yields better results. But in any event, um, my my little thing I wanted to point out from this game that I noticed was there's there's been a few different uploads of this game. Obviously, you know, ESPN probably doesn't feel great about having their, their primo content shared freely across the Internet. So they've been... They've been pretty good about deleting people that have been trying to upload like mashups or stuff of uh, both college football playoff semifinals. But there there have been a few that have stayed up that I thought have been pretty interesting. There there was one, I think Ohio State uploaded like a 4K supercast version of the game today that's probably like 10 or 15 minutes that I that people have been saying has been good. 
one that I thought was really interesting was that someone uploaded, I think it's about an eight minute video of uh, it's all Skycast highlights from the game. And so it looks like if you ever played like any of the old NCAA football games or if you play Madden, it's that camera angle they have and they have it for pretty much the entire game. Uh, and they're just doing the live plays that are run off of that angle. And it is it, it's if you're a person that's a football nut. Uh, it's it, it's such an awesome way to to watch a football game. It, it, it's really great. Um, and one of the things that the Skycast highlights captured that uh, didn't actually show up on any of the other uh, broadcasts that I saw was when Fields threw his sixth touchdown pass to Jamison Williams. Uh, Williams caught it, and then he and Garrett Wilson were in the end zone, and they got up, and uh, they did the gritty on their way out of the end zone. And it, I mean, you know, every every other NFL receiver has done that touchdown celebration this year, so it's not special by itself. But Garrett Wilson, in the middle of his gritty, breaks it off to do a little OHIO while he's still doing the the leg part of the dance, and he's waving at the Ohio State fans in the in the stands that are giving him love. And it's it's just a really great moment uh, for you know just the two receivers and. Uh, nice little exclamation point on what was the last scoring play of the day for the Buckeyes that didn't really get picked up anywhere else. And it's a it's a great little dance moment for Jamison Williams, too, who hasn't had a ton of, you know, big pop moments this year, kind of overshadowed by Olave and uh, Garrett Wilson. So that I would go check that out if you haven't seen it. Uh, Sky Cam's always really cool to see. Yeah, the Sky Cam angle is really cool. They usually ESPN's been doing that for a lot of their big games. They did have like a during the actual game live, they had like on one of their other channels, like ESPN Two or ESPN News, one of those. They had like the full game in Skycam where you could just watch it like that. It was no announcers; it was just like the the stadium audio and and just the plays running all from the Skycam, which is really cool. I'm sure they'll have that again for the national championship. So you know, if you're not you're not fond of the announcers or you just want to watch a cool angle for a few plays or drive here and there, it's definitely something worth checking out. It's a very yeah. If it, you like don't want to hear yeah. Herb Street say Haskell Garrett every five minutes, I would definitely recommend watching a, a stream without commentary on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like you said, it's like if you've played Madden or the old NCAA video games, it's that that exact view. So it's kind of fun to look at it and you kind of see, you know, you can kind of scan the field like the quarterback and see what they're seeing just from a much higher viewpoint. Yeah, well, I'm definitely if they I, I actually didn't realize they did the live the full live broadcast of the semifinal for that. I definitely would rather watch the national championship at that angle if they've got it again than uh, the alternative or the standard rather. So hopefully, hopefully they've got it up. But uh, speaking of the national championship, you know, we've we've, you know, smoked the Clemson victory cigar enough, I think. So let's uh, let's get on to what is the final and obviously biggest game of the year. Definitely biggest for the players. I, I know I don't know if we talked about it after we stopped recording last week, Gene, but I, I did mention a little bit how it kind of feels like maybe there's a bit of emotional like spent or the emotional spending has kind of already taken place just in, with all, everything that leading up to the Clemson game. I kind of compare it to like and and this this may be hard for you to resonate with just because I know you said you haven't been an Ohio State fan for as long, but you know you think back to like when Ohio State played Michigan in two thousand six when Ohio State was number one, Michigan was ranked number two. You know, obviously that game's already determining a whole bunch of different things at that point. I think that was the hundred or hundred and first installment of the game, so they're you know big century mark number. 
And then on top of all that, Bo Schembechler dies the night before the game. Um, it just it, there was so much build up going into that game that you know for a lot of Ohio State fans afterwards it just kind of feels like gravy. And I'm sure pretty much everyone remembers you know losing to Florida uh, in the national championship. The game following that um, it was you know obviously very devastating for a lot of Ohio State fans and kind of marked the the rise of the SEC empire in college football over the next decade. But I, I bring that up because I, I I get a little bit worried when I think back on that because I remember that I had that similar feeling in terms of when Ohio State won that game. It felt like the team was a little bit emotionally spent. Um, and I'm not inferring that the, the current team is based on what we've seen because, you know, they've – Based on everything they've said and how much they've been working and how much they've had to overcome in the last, you know, half year plus, they're not slowing down anytime soon. But you just wonder if mentally, if you're able to gear up for this game as much as you're able to gear up for the Clemson, you were for the Clemson game, given the heartbreak involved in losing to that opponent, Ohio State having never beaten Clemson in its school history. You know, all the the Fields, Trevor Lawrence parallels, all the Dabo Swinney stuff versus, you know, the very minuscule things that Saban has done to, you know, instigate Ohio State. Really, his daughter's done more than anything. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you kind of get what I'm saying? Do you feel the same way, I guess, in terms of are you concerned at all about this, where this team is at emotionally just – coming off of a win that was so satisfying like Clemson? Do you like? Do you think it's hard for the national championship to measure up to that? No, I, I definitely get what you're saying, and I, I could see that being an issue. But, like, the thing is with everything Ohio State has gone through this year to get to this point, like, I don't I – don't, Ryan Day is a really good coach, and I don't think he's going to have to really motivate his guys to, to win a national title. And, and just, like, just to say, like, you know, we, we weren't supposed to play at all this year. Nobody even wanted – like, the Big Ten didn't even want us to play – all this stuff, and now here we are. We're we're sixty minutes away from bringing home a trophy, and like I, I just don't. If it wasn't the national championship, and they had to play a different game after Clemson before the national championship, I think they'd be dead in the water just because of how, like that, like you said, like the emotional baggage from their game that they had to go through to get that one. But I think the national championship is pretty easy to motivate for when that's your main goal when you start the season anyway. And plus, you know, they still have a little bit. They obviously don't have the trash talk from the other side like they had last time around, but they're still, you know, they're still underdogs. They're eight-point underdogs. Um, And, like, it's not like last time where everyone was picking Clemson to blow them out. I think there are some, you know, people in the national media that are picking them this time around, and nobody thinks they're going to get blown out by Alabama. Most people do see this as what should be a good game between two of the best teams in the country. But... You know, I think Ohio State likes that underdog mentality. There, I saw a stat earlier today where Ohio State has been uh, a six-point underdog or more in three games in the college football playoff era, and they're undefeated in those games. So it was they were plus uh, plus nine against Bama in 2015. They won that one. Plus six against Oregon in the national championship. They won that one easily. And then they were plus seven uh, this year against Clemson, and they obviously won that game. So. I think Ohio State thrives on the underdog mentality, and I don't think they really need much motivation to go out and win this game other than the fact that, you know, we weren't supposed to be here, we weren't even supposed to play football, and now we have a chance to win a national title after everything that's happened in 2020 and now into 2021, and I think they're they're ready to go. I don't think that's going I don't think uh, a lack of motivation is going to be what would lose Ohio State this game if they did lose it. Yeah, and I'm not I I'm not trying to infer that they're not going to be, you know, motivated coming into the national championship, but my my concern just solely rests with 
you're you're coming off of such an extreme high with that Clemson win. It's just how do you, you know, less than a week and a half later, just kind of gear yourself back up to reaching a similar uh, just level of, you know, psyched, psychedness, getting psyched up for that. I just – that's the one thing I worry about is, is less about motivation and just more about – um you know, bringing that – I mean, or the, the way that they used to describe it with Urban Meyer was bringing the juice. Um, so I, if we're going to put it in urban terms, I, I just wonder, you know, how are you going to match that level of juice? Yeah, um, and I mean, so. Nick Saban isn't going to come out and rank them 11th, so they're definitely not going to have that going for them. <laughs> but, I mean, there were there has been some things said by the other side. As you, as you touched on, you know, Nick Saban's daughter is trying to claim that Ohio State is faking COVID cases to get Justin Fields more time to recover, which clearly isn't true. Justin Fields spoke today and said he feels better. He'll be good to go on Monday. That's not an issue. Uh, we don't really know the full extent of the COVID cases, but Ryan Day seems to think that they're well on track to play in that game. And there was one, I think it was an offensive lineman from Alabama that kind of kind of alluded to that same thing. They said something along the lines of, we're going to see if they really want to play football in terms of just the physicality in that game. So there have been some small things said. I don't think it's anything really over the top, nothing crazy bulletin board material-wise like Dabo Sweeney gave them. But yeah, I, I think they'll be... No, I, I think you're kind of dumpster diving for oh, bulletin board I definitely board am, but Ryan Day is probably doing said. the same thing. Uh, he's, he's looking for anything he can get. <laughs> yeah, well... And I, I, it's a, it'll be interesting to see how they respond. Um, but they, there certainly seems to be like a greater level of respect between these two teams, at least. Um, so I'm not, I'm definitely not getting as much of a, a rivalry sense out of it as I was. Even you know, both teams were acknowledging going into the game last week. I mean, Clemson was saying we don't really look at it as a rivalry because they haven't beaten us, and Ohio State guys were saying, yeah, we haven't beaten them, so it's not like we can really call it a rivalry. But even then, you still felt a greater sense of animosity between those two teams, I think, than you did uh, with uh, uh, Alabama. Uh, the fan bases might disagree with that, uh, but that's a different argument for another time. In any event, uh, the game itself, why don't we start breaking down some of the things that we got here. So I uh, I, I guess before we, we – we, the way that I, I want to do this is just kind of go – just because there's so much talent at pretty much every level for both of these teams. I, I, I want to look at it just like position versus position group uh, just to kind of get a better sense of who's got the better talent where on uh, which side of the ball. But before we get into that, I think we would be remiss if we didn't offer congrats to Devonte Smith for taking home the Heisman Trophy uh, last night as of this recording. Uh, Gene and I, if you are a loyal listener of the program, a few episodes ago, we were both uh, harping on how we were hoping Smith would win, but ultimately thought it was going to go to Mac Jones or Trevor Lawrence. Uh, we were both, I, or I was at least comfortable with Lawrence winning, but I was going to be a little bit upset if Mac Jones won just for you know being the product of a quarterback and a great offense and a conference that doesn't play any defense, which is how Oklahoma's gotten the Heisman winner the last few years. Um, but in that, hey, you know what? Devonta Smith was the best player in college football this year, and it showed, and uh, I think we're both glad that he won. So congrats to him. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad the Heisman voters got it right. Uh, Devonta Smith was clearly the best player in college football this season, definitely deserves this award. Hats off to him. What I didn't realize until they started talking about it uh, during the Heisman ceremony was that uh, it was actually Devonta Smith who caught the 
walk-off game-winning touchdown in that national championship against Georgia when when uh, Tua came in and won an OT. Devonta Smith caught that that touchdown. And that was back then when he was you know fourth on the depth chart behind guys like Calvin Ridley and Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. And so you know it was kind of a precursor to what became an incredible career for him. And it's uh, good to see all his hard work pay off now. And and he's uh, competing for a national title just like the Buckeyes. Yeah, it seems like a whole other world ago. It's unbelievable to think that when that game happened, uh, yeah, Tua, who you know is now had uh, quarterback for the Dolphins, was put in uh, relief for Hurts, I believe, at halftime of that game. And yeah, Smith is now the guy that caught the game-winning touchdown. Uh, is the Heisman Trophy winner, and Hurts uh, uh, is an NFL quarterback himself, poised to start for the Eagles next year. So it's it's great. It feels like that was a world ago. Now it it really doesn't feel like. It's been that long since Bama has played, like, been or won a national championship, but it it really has been. It, it's just wild to think about, um, especially just with all the, I don't know, it, it, the success they've had last all the last decade. It doesn't feel like that they've gone between. Uh, years this long without winning. I think that there was some crazy stat. Um, that came out after they beat Notre Dame last week that said because that they've made because they beat Notre Dame, every single member of their senior class going back to I think 2010 or possibly earlier has played in a national championship, which is insane that they've been able to say that for the last decade is just so crazy. And it it makes you a little bit worried. I think about, uh, you know, just experience being a factor. It's not, it's normally something you hear, I think more in, you know, professional championship speculation in terms of like, especially with the NBA, you hear about, Oh, do they have the, the, you know, the playoff veterans that are going to give them that experience that they need in those, you know, moments where rookies or the young guys don't really, you know, have that playoff experience you wonder if you know i don't think ohio state has any holdovers from 2015 so you wonder if that's going to factor in or or at all uh whatever you know i'm sure having a guy like devonta smith who has been in a national championship game before not only that but made one of the craziest plays in the history of the national championship if we're really thinking about it um it's you, you wonder how much that experience is going to pay dividends for Alabama in this game. Yeah, experience could definitely come into play. And I mean, it's it's like that with the coaching staff, too. Ryan Day wasn't around for the last Ohio State national title. He's never been the head coach of a national championship team. And then you have Nick Saban on the other side, who's won a billion championships. So there's definitely the edge and experience definitely goes to Alabama. They've had, like you said, they've, they've competed in all these national titles. They have players on the roster who have been on this stage before Ohio State doesn't. You know, obviously they made it to the playoffs last year, so they have playoff experience. It's not like it's these guys are all coming in having never been on something close to the stage. They were uh, about a quarter away last year for being here, but yeah, it could if if it's coming down to experience, it's obviously in Alabama's favor in that regard. Yeah, so I I know that was a bit of an awkward segue into you know I wanted to do position breakdowns and you know we started off by congratulating a Bama player, but I I figured that was just something we had to get done. Uh, beforehand uh we'll we'll talk more about the receivers i guess in a bit but let's uh 
should probably start with the most obvious position group for comparison. Um, both these teams have pretty good guys playing quarterback. Um, the the Bama guy has been doing it in a starting capacity for a little bit longer than the Ohio State one. Uh, Mac Jones, I believe, got put into – I believe he was put in as a relief option as a freshman in – one of the national championship games that Bama played a very, very long time ago. So he's he, he's been around this program for a little bit, just kind of biding his time. Um, and obviously, we most of us are familiar with Fields' story. wasn't you know really getting or didn't really want to wait to get his shot at Georgia. Uh, it felt like he kind of deserved it a little bit quicker. Uh, came over to Ohio State had one of the most sparkling touchdown-to-interception ratios in college football history last year on his way to losing to Clemson in the college football playoff, uh, redeemed himself last week against his uh, longtime Georgia rival, Trevor Lawrence, and uh, now they find themselves here. So I think, Gene, both of these quarterbacks, I think, do a lot of things similarly. Um and I think that you can all – it's interesting because I think you can make some similar criticisms in their games as well. Um, I think Jones definitely handles the blitz better than Fields does. But these are two guys that I think you can – if you wanted to make the argument that maybe they're not as good as you as they appear to be because they are more of a product of the players that they, they play around and the system that they're in, I think that you can – reasonably make that argument for both of them the question is then just who has the more pure quarterback ability between the two of them fields or mac jones and i i would think that just based on the fact that they don't ohio state they've got i think more options in terms of playmaking talent but in terms of the upper echelon guys that are playing around fields versus the guys like Najee Harris and Devonta Smith that are playing around Jones, Jones definitely has greater help around him. And maybe for that reason, I, I think I would give fields the edge in this argument, but I don't know if you feel similarly or not. No, I, I do think if we're talking about just pure quarterback talent, not, not accounting for the, the guys they have around them, I, I do think, no disrespect to Mac Jones, but I think Justin Field is a, is a far superior quarterback, just, just a pure quarterback in, in any system. Uh, I think Mac Jones, if you put him on like an average team, I think he would be kind of average. I think he's a good quarterback. He's had a great season, but I think he's honestly more of a, a game manager. Uh, I saw some stat earlier on social media earlier this week that like he didn't, against Notre Dame, like he didn't really complete many passes over like 10 yards. It's a lot of just short throws, and he's very good good at it. He makes very smart decisions. He's always finding the open man and getting it, but he's not he's not a guy that's going to beat you over the top very often even with all the talent they have over there. And if he is beating you over the top, it's because, you know, Devontae Smith has burned his man by 20 yards and he's wide open. We saw, you know, against Clemson, Justin Fields hitting throws against one-on-one coverage over the top, like on on a dime 50 yards downfield. He makes the long NFL throws to the sideline. And Mac Jones probably does have the advantage in terms of uh, blitz pickup and reads and stuff like that. He has looked really good against the blitzes here. And like I said, it's a lot of parts because their offense is more quick hitters than Ohio State's is. But I, I do think Justin Fields is a better quarterback. There's a reason that you know Justin Fields is looked at as, uh, as a top-two quarterback in the NFL draft, and Mac Jones isn't, isn't really on that list. Um, uh, Justin Fields obviously has some things he needs to work on, but I think if you wanted to start build a team around one of these quarterbacks, you're taking Justin Fields. And if not, just for the... 
the throwing ability, I mean, Justin Fields' legs give you a whole other aspect that Mac Jones really doesn't. He's not very mobile. He's not even as mobile as, say, like a Trevor Lawrence. So that that really is another aspect of Justin Fields' game that probably gives him a, a leg up in that uh, head-to-head matchup there. It's re- that's refreshing to hear honest analysis of Mac Jones because for like the first three quarters of the season, all I kept hearing was uh, the the Joe Burrow comparisons, and then th- those slowly started to fade out in favor of uh, Kyle Trask being compared to Joe Burrow. Uh, so I, I I think I can live without hearing another SEC quarterback compared to Joe Burrow in my lifetime, or at least for the next five years, but. Um, I mean, I have not the 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 bits of Bama that I've watched this year. I haven't seen anything that makes me think Mac Jones is going to be the reason that they lose this football game. Um, he, you know, he's making the right decisions for them every time, and I think that honestly, the most dangerous kind of quarterback that Bama can have is one that is going to reliably get the ball in the hands of playmakers where they're able to be most effective. And I've seen him consistently do that with Najee Harris for the last two years. Um, and I have consistently, or well, well, I've seen, I've seen Najee Harris do the right things for the last two years rather, but um, I, I, he has done it this year with, you know, in his starting role and uh, he's done it with Devonte Smith as well. Um, and they've got a f- they've got a few other guys that are really stellar athletes as well. Um, Jaleel Billingsley, I think, is listed as a tight end for them, but is actually their kick returner, and you know, really plays like a hyper athletic receiver. I mean, Najee Harrison himself is you know <laughs> he can play receiver if you really need him to. I, I haven't seen many running backs that have the ability to make you know back shoulder catches on fades the way that he can. And uh, obviously there's the outstanding thing of wondering if Jalen Waddle's going to come back or not um, for them on Monday. So it'll if they've got their full suite of weapons, uh, I just think it makes uh, Jones that much more dangerous. Um, and I think that – and we'll talk about this a bit later, but the big key that I think for you know whichever team is going to win this game is which team makes the least mistakes. And unfortunately – I think Jones is a guy that's a little bit less mistake prone than uh, Justin Fields has been this year. That's not something I would have said coming into the season, but I think based on how we've seen the two of them handle pressure, uh, you'd, you'd have to give the edge to Jones in that regard. If you were to, you know, bet on which of these two quarterbacks, if you could only pick one of them, is going to f- commit a turnover in the national championship, I would honestly feel a lot more secure about picking fields to do that than I would Mac Jones. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. I think I think Mac Jones is the safer play. I, I think he's going to do the right things. He's going to drive the ball down the field and whatnot. But I also think that you know while while he's less likely to make a big turnover, I think Justin Fields is more likely to make the big play. And so you kind of you kind of take that trade off. We've talked about that all year, where you know. Justin Fields, he might take a sack or two here and there that he shouldn't have, but then the next play he'll come back and throw a 40-yard touchdown pass. So those are the things you live with. Ohio State's offense, Ryan Day, he knows what he's getting in Justin Fields. He knows he can make the plays, and you know sometimes he's got to throw it away, but sometimes he'll make the big play out of nowhere. So it's it's a it's a toss up, but I, I do think that you know just just ter- pure talent and what from from seemingly what NFL scouts also feel that Justin Fields is a better quarterback. <laughs> All right, so we'll we'll give you know we're a little biased in our perspective, but we will give Fields the the edge in the quarterback comparison uh, for 
for right now. Uh, running back, this one might be a little more slanted in Alabama's favor, or at least if you if you'd asked us a month ago, we probably would have told you exactly that you know, Bama. There's no there's no question who the better running back is between these two teams, but uh, Trey Sermon has obviously been on a tear the last two games. Uh, 331 rushing yards in the Big Ten Championship, and then he followed that up with, uh, I think, I think he had 250 total scrimmage yards at least uh, in the game against Clemson. He had about 190 rushing, and I think he had about 60 receiving as well. Um, so he he finally, you know, when they came, when Sermon came here, um, one of the things that I was excited to see from him, and I think other Ohio State fans too, were or was his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, that was something that bit Ohio State in the behind a few times last year. Dobbins was Dobbins was good after the catch, but had, didn't have the most reliable hands in the world. He dropped a wide-open screen pass that would have gone for a touchdown against Clemson. Um, and I, I think a lot of Ohio State fans were excited to get a reliable pass catching back and kind of see – an offense that hadn't traditionally made a ton of use of that, um, you know, see if they were going to be able to make that work and, you know, get someone with reliable hands catching those, those short passes out of the backfield. Um, we didn't really see that in the first half of the year just because Sermon was kind of slowly coming along. But then finally we started to see more uh, checkdowns in the Clemson game and uh, a little bit in the Northwestern game as well, but you're you're starting you're starting to finally see that dynamic receiving ability from Sermon that uh, I think this offense has been lacking from its running backs for for a little bit. And um, he's he's been an absolutely electric rusher the last two games. Thing is, Najee Harris has been doing it not only all season but all of last season too. The guy's been doing it for two years. I think he's pretty easily the best running back prospect that's in this upcoming NFL draft. I think most of the scouts probably agree with that. He might have been the best prospect in last year's draft, draft even if Travis Etienne had gone uh, last year. So I I feel pretty comfortable about giving Najee Harris the edge over Trey Sermon, even though I I love what Trey Sermon has blossomed into the last two games. Um, but yeah, I, I have to imagine you probably feel the same way, Gene. Yeah, if you would have told me before the Big Ten Championship that I would even be thinking about considering Trey Sermon as good as Najee Harris, I'd say you're crazy. But but here we are. I mean, they're 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 not that far apart. I am going to give the edge to Najee Harris because of all the experience and like you said, he's just he's so good. He's honestly like a, a mini Derrick Henry. He just he bulldozes people. He does everything well. He's very athletic for his size, and he's just a great running back. But the Trey Sermon we've gotten these last two games, if Ohio State's getting that guy in the national championship, I mean, they're they're pretty comparable. Um, I, I think there is actually a chance that Trey Sermon finishes with more rushing yards in this game with Najee Harris just because Bama doesn't really run the ball as much as Ohio State does. They kind of use him more in the passing game. They don't run. They're not going to give Najee Harris 30 carries, or at least I don't think they will, unless they completely change up their normal game plan. But yeah, I, I think there's a chance Trey Sermon finishes with more yards just because of how they're both using their offenses. But I, I think Najee Harris does get the edge at the running back spot. He's been very good for a very long time. Trey Sermon, we got a limited sample size, and while that sample size has been, while that exact sample has been incredible, those two games against Northwestern and Clemson are, he's put on a legendary Zeke esque performance, like a playoff run that way. But uh, Najee Harris has been the more consistent guy, and you know what you're getting from him day in and day out. Well, and it's interesting too. It is a limited sample size, but I would also argue it's the 
highest quality sample size that they have just because it's the two best uh, run defenses they've played against without question this year. Um, so I, I think you can feel a little bit more optimistic about how that translates against a team like Alabama that doesn't have the best run defense, which we'll get into more in a bit. Um, but that, that I think, has to make you feel a little bit more optimistic because Clemson, Clemson, I think, was probably the best run defense they could have played anywhere all year. Um, I'm sure Luke Fickle in Cincinnati might have something to say about that, but uh, Clemson was very, very good up front, and uh, they absolutely mauled them. So I think, and we'll you know talk about uh, the both guys on each side of the trenches in a sec. But that you would have to think that that bodes really well for playing a team like Bama that has been uh, more conciliatory to the run this year should we say um but yeah we don't i don't think we need to harp on this one too long trey has been great um just the latest of a excellent transfer portal acquisition for ohio state um which i I guess transfers make up their entire backfield right now so that's been going pretty well for them um but it uh yeah, I, I, you still just got to go Najee Harris. The guy's incredible. But I, I think you are right. It'll be I, – I think Sermon probably is going to end up with more rushing yards either way than Harris does. Um, but I think that has more to do with the fact that Bama's going to have considerably more success if they throw the ball in this game than if they do running the ball. And uh, that's probably how they're going to find their path to victory. Speaking of them throwing the ball, um, the guys they're throwing to are pretty good. Um, for the sake of comparison or a more interesting comparison, I think let's leave Jalen Waddle out of this for right now. Uh, Waddle's obviously one of the fastest guys in college football and, uh, would probably slide in as their number two receiver if he comes back. Um, so definitely would make an already impressive core more, even more overwhelming for them. But I, I think, you know, it, it's pretty obvious that they've got the best guy of the bunch in Devonta Smith. Not many uh, wide receivers take home the Heisman Trophy, but, but given the two guys that Ohio State has at the top versus the one guy Bama's got at the top, Gene, would you say that Ohio State's got better depth at receiver than Alabama does, even with even if Jalen Waddle were to come back? Yeah, I think obviously Jalen Waddle being back would be massive I don't know how healthy he would be obviously coming into the year he was the higher draft prospect than Devonta Smith he was their number one guy Jalen Waddle is a very very good wide receiver and he will be a good wide receiver in the NFL uh, we don't know what kind of Jalen Waddle we would get even if he plays I don't really expect him to play I see this more of a make Ohio State practice for it than they really think he's going to play but either way yeah I think Ohio State definitely has better depth but I do think Bama has the best guy. Obviously, Devontae Smith is the best receiver, the best player in college football. But Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are no slouches. And then you throw on top of that Jamison Williams and all the freshmen on Ohio State's roster. And, you know, Bama's got similar receivers behind Devontae Smith. You know, John Mechie's been very good. Uh, they've got some other guys there that, that do a lot of similar things to those guys. But, yeah, I think in terms of depth, Ohio State definitely has them beat. They have more guys to kind of spread the field with, whereas on – Alabama's offense you could kind of just you can't really you can't stop Devonta Smith you just kind of got to let him get his and not let anyone else beat you so I, I think it's different in the way that you defend them based on how they are spread out 
Um, so I, I don't know really how to give the edge here because, like you said, you know they have the better player. Ohio State's got the better depth. So I think this one's kind of kind of a toss up. It's kind of a pick your poison. Do you want production spread across three or four different guys, or do you want the number one guy in the country? So it, it's tough. I don't really know which way to lean. I've seen obviously more of Ohio State's receivers. I think they're all very good, but um, you know we don't have a Devonta Smith, even though Chris Olave and Gary Wilson are both you know upper tier receivers in the, in college football. I don't I don't really know which way to lean here. I think this one's a tie. I, I think I have to lean Bama uh, just because in the in something that you brought up earlier in the show was, and I didn't even realize it until you told it to me, was that Devonta Smith was the guy that caught the, the game-winning touchdown from Tua Tagovailoa in their national championship game a few years ago. And, uh, you know, he came in, he, he was not – a Julio Jones or an Amari Cooper and he's going to leave Bama with the most impressive career that any of their receivers have had. He was not a super highly heralded recruit. Uh he came in just a very, you know, skinny, you know, a guy that I think was just going to fill out their, you know, receiver room and he's ended up filling out into one of the most impressive skill players that they've had there. And I think that speaks to the depth that they've had at that position is just they just keep finding guys to churn out at this receiver spot. And, I mean, they are just littered all over the NFL now. Um, And most of them have been bigger names and, you know, have been guys that have had eyeballs on them since high school. But they still find ways to put these guys in that haven't been big-name recruits. So they're they're very good at identifying talent early that you're not – you know, is it maybe going to fly a little bit under the radar a little bit? That's not saying Ohio State it can't do that either. The best receiver on Ohio State's team right now is a three-star guy uh, that, when when he was originally recruited, they were actually trying to go after his quarterback. Uh, they weren't trying to originally get Chris Olave when they visited his high school. Um, so I, I think I have to lean Alabama just a little bit. I think that there's guys that are waiting to make plays on that team, I think, just based on what the history of that team tells us. So even if they don't get Waddle back, they're going to have guys like John Meachie third that step up. Um, I, I'm trying to leave Billingsley out of this comparison because he is listed as a tight end, but that's another guy that they've got that's a big-time pass catcher for them. Um, they, they've got guys that are, are sleeping threats at that receiver position. Ohio State... You feel really good about the two guys that are in front. You feel really good about Garrett Wilson. You feel really good about Olave. Jamison Williams is a guy that I want to love because I know he's the fastest receiver on the team. Uh, he's got a great name, and uh, he, you know, he he's, he does a good gritty based on the Skycam footage that I saw from the game last week. Um, but you know when he had to step up into that number 2 role for Garrett for uh you know help out Garrett Wilson in the Big 10 championship he he you know wasn't quite able to put it all together and he he had at least one mistake i think that was one of the main reasons for Justin one of Justin Fields's interceptions in that game just cuz they weren't on the same page and i think he you know kept kind of abandoned his route going to the sideline or something I worry a little bit about the guys underneath Ohio State in terms of how they're comparing to the ones on Bama because once you get past Jamison Williams, 
I mean, you're leaning on Julian Fleming and Jackson Smith and the Jigba, and those guys are both great, but they're both true freshmen, and it's it's going to be incredibly hard to lean on guys like that in a national championship game. So I think just strictly from an experience standpoint, I have to give the edge to Bama and the receiver department, but it is a very slim chasm between the two teams. Um, you definitely feel better about Ohio State's two guys versus Bama's two guys, but obviously Bama's got the one guy in Devonta Smith that is the supreme option. And then I think once you get past those first two, the comparison swings back in favor of Bama again, just based on their ability to churn out talent from that position. Yeah, I think these are the two best wide receiver cores in the country. And I don't know, maybe like a, a UNC or somebody might have something to say about that. But I, I think there's a reason these two teams are playing in this game. And I, I wrote about it earlier this week. Go check it out at Land Grant Holy Land about how the wide receiver position has become such an important role in determining the national title. You know, all these teams in the past few years, obviously you need a good quarterback to get you there. But once you get there and the quarterback talent kind of equates, it really comes down to which team has the more elite receivers that seems to win those games. And so these are two of the best wide receiver cores that we see this season. And uh, there's a reason they're playing against each other. So we'll see which one gets the edge on Monday night. All right. And now for your long-awaited tight end room. Um, You know, I brought up Billingsley for Alabama a few times already in the podcast. Guy's a Chicago, Illinois native. So, you know, got to – Got to shout out the uh, the local guys, at least from where I'm at. Uh, but Ohio State, this I think uh, before the college football playoff semifinal, th- this might have been a conversation we would have even skipped. Um, for for the second half of the season, Ohio State's tight ends were were basically. Uh, they were just smaller offensive linemen. They weren't used for anything other than blocking. And uh, the running game wasn't super opened up at that point through the second half of the year yet. So it wasn't even like they were, you know, killing it uh, in that department uh, when you would have considered them for that. But then last week happened against Clemson. Uh, Farrell caught an insane contested touchdown pass from uh, Justin Fields and then Jeremy Ruckert had a proceeded to have an enormous game made several big catches over the middle and caught two touchdown passes from Fields so suddenly the the tight end position has had a complete resurgence for Ohio State Um, Bama's got a, a plethora of tight ends on their roster though they they don't use nearly all of them um, but Billingsley's a guy that's been a really good receiver for them this year, and I think Miller Forrestal is more of a blocking guy for them, but he, he's a big dude. Um, so, I, uh, Gene, I'm a little hesitant to say to give Ohio State the edge here just because of, of usage. I don't know if we're going to see the same level of commitment to them uh, in this game as we did in the Clemson game. I think part of the reason it worked so well in the Clemson game was just because the tight ends were straight up ignored for half the season. Um, you pointed out that Farrell or Ruckert hadn't caught a pass since the Rutgers game prior to the, the game against Clemson last week. So I, I want to give Bama the edge. I'm going to lean Ohio State because I think that having two – senior guys that are are leading that position group and Luke Farrell and Jake Hausman 
um, are both, you know, that, that considerably helps uh, your experience with that room. I've said it before. I think Ruckert's got one of the best pairs of hands on the team. Um, And I think that those guys, if they're used correctly every week as receivers can be instrumental in any victory for Ohio state. They're already all incredible blockers. I think uh, former Land-Grant writer Patrick Mayhorn referred to Luke Farrell this year as Ohio State's sixth offensive lineman, and that is basically what he's been. I mean, the guy's been absolutely mauling people on the edge, and he, he set up more than a few of these big runs that Sermon has had of late. So I'm I'm leaning Ohio State. I, I, I hope that Ryan Day continues to recognize how great the room he has here is and that he doesn't just go back to using them as predominantly blockers. Because I think that if they commit to the tight ends in at least a similar fashion to the way that they did in the Clemson game, that's going to be something that can pay big dividends towards them winning this football game. Yeah, and I mean, if Ohio State's going head-to-head with anyone comparing tight end usage, they're probably going to lose that battle every (laughs) single time. But if we're just talking about tight end talent, I do think Ohio State has a good claim here. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Jeremy Rucker guy, and it's not just because he's from like 20 minutes west of where I am on Long Island. I think he's a legitimately one of Ohio State's like best tight ends of the last bunch of years, honestly. He's a very good receiver. He's gotten very good at blocking since last year. You know, he, he came in as a freshman, kind of had to learn how to block, and now he's one of the best blockers on the team. Him and Farrell have both been tremendous in the running game. They're, if you When you watch back Trey Sermon's highlights from these past few weeks, you see these guys just making crucial blocks on some of these inside zone runs and just sealing the edge to the outside. So they've been fantastic in that regard, even when they aren't catching passes. And then, like we saw against Clemson, they are very sturdy targets in the passing game. Luke Farrell caught a pass in the end zone that I have no idea how he boxed out the corner to get it, and it wasn't an interception. Uh, Luke Fer- uh Jeremy Ruckert is has very sturdy hands. He's he's pretty fast for a tight end too, and you know he's he's good at disguising, you know, coming out of a block and then slowly leaking out and catching a pass, like we saw on that one play where Ohio State kind of reverse fields and hit uh, Ruckert wide open for a pretty easy walk in touchdown. So. I do think Ohio State has the edge here. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know a ton about Alabama's tight ends. Uh, Billingsley kind of strikes me as a, an Evan Ingram-type tight end where he's more of a receiver than a tight end. They just kind of have him at the tight end position to get him on the field. Uh, he's, a, he's a pretty big dude, but he's not really tight end body in my mind. Uh, and I, I'm not a big Evan Ingram guy as a Giants fan, so um, <laughs> I'm going to have all my biases come together and give Ohio State the slight edge at tight end. I was gonna say, I think I think your perception might be colored a little bit by the fact that you're a Giants fan, but uh, I think Evan Ingram's probably a fair comparison, just uh, you know, at a glance. Um, but yeah, I you know, for all the reasons you just said, we Ohio State's got the talent in the room. It's just a matter of whether or not they end up using it. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how their game plan and how they want to utilize them changes against Bama versus what they did against Clemson. Let's get in the trenches. This is where this is where I love to live. Should we do instead of doing like Ohio State's offensive line versus Bama's offensive line, should we say who has the advantage like when we go Ohio State's offensive line versus Bama's defensive line versus sure. Ohio State's defensive line versus offensive line? Yeah, that works for me. So, I guess then we'll just make this easy then. Um Ohio State's offensive line beats anybody. Um, Clemson was the biggest test they could have had, and they absolutely kicked their ass. Um, I'm absolutely not in fear 
Uh, they could play literally any team in college football right now, and I think I would feel good about them running on anybody. I, it is just absolutely crazy. Like, it, I, I expected that. I'll be honest. I expected this. I, I expected Ohio State's offensive line this year to be one of the best ever in college football, and it didn't measure up to that in the first part of the season. The main reason I expected that was because – it was one of, if not the best offensive lines in college football last year, and all three of the best offensive linemen on that line were coming back this year. Uh, Jonah Jackson and uh, – oh, my gosh, I, I flub his name. Uh, Brandon Bowen, every time I flub his name, even though he was great last year. Uh, those two guys, you know, both ended up being going on NFL rosters – those two were not the best linemen on the team last year by any stretch of the imagination. It was always Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, Thayer Munford. Those guys have been unbelievable this year. Um, Nicholas Petit Frere fill, has filled in for Brandon Bowen more than admirably. He's been absolutely great. Um, I was a little bit worried about him coming into the year just based on the fact that he didn't really fill in well in the in the Big Ten Championship last year against Wisconsin but he's been an excellent right tackle uh, on the opposite side of Thayer Munford. Uh, we've been pretty critical of Harry Miller on this show. He was not in the um, the lineup last week. They started Matt Jones, and then because of you know some other injuries on the offensive line over the course of the game, they had to you know phase in other guys like Paris Johnson Jr. They had, and Johnson in particular, who I think came in as a tackle. They had him playing out of position at guard. And he played both left and right guard, I think, during the Clemson game. So you've, you've got a lot of guys that uh, are talented. And the Clemson game not only proved they're talented, but it proved that they're deep. Because once Miller left and then once Jones got hurt, they're plugging in guys that are out of position. And Paris Johnson was still pancaking dudes off of the line. Um, so I Alabama is a far cry defensively from what their reputation has been in years past. Uh, their their defensive line this year has not been good at all. I think that of all the, the run-blocking metric stats that football outsiders tracks, their defensive line is only ranked in the top 50 in college football this year in one statistic. And it's just for like standard down – like rushing yards like how much how many rushing yards they give up on first and second down they're 49th in the country at that great i mean before they were consistently top 10 for stopping the run in basically every statistic um so they're of very very far removed from what they used to be they're far removed from what clemson was this season and i think that because of that you're gonna see if Ohio State wants to maul them on on Monday night, they're going to be able to do it. The question's going to be, is the game being played at a pace where they don't have to constantly be throwing and they can feel good about running the ball? Because if they can run because if they're free to run the ball when they want to, I think Bama's going to have a lot of problems dealing with Trey Sermon and more specifically just getting run over by everybody on Ohio State's offensive line. Yeah, Ohio State's offensive line is probably the strongest unit of any on the team outside of, you know, Justin Fields at quarterback. 
Um, as you said, the guys that returned, Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, Thayer Munford, they've all been great all year long. It took a little while for this line to gel early in the year, but we, we came into the year expecting this to be one of the best offensive lines in the country, and they've certainly lived up to that billing. Nicholas Petit-Ferrer has been awesome at offensive tackle. I feel like every week I see like a stat from PFF on Twitter about how him and Munford have allowed like zero pressures every week. It, it's crazy how good those guys have been off the edge. Um, Harry Miller has had his struggles, but he missed last week with a positive COVID test. Um, I don't know when that test occurred. I don't know if he'll be available against uh, Alabama, but either way, Matt Jones filled in very well. And then, like you said, Paris Johnson, this freshman offensive tackle, comes in at guard, <laughs> and like any on like one of his first plays, he absolutely pancakes a guy on Clemson. So that was fun to see. And you know, they have they've got depth. They've got guys to come in. They've been very strong across the board uh, in both the run and the pass game. And it, it's, it's you know, when you have an offensive line that's just mashing like they are, everything on offense becomes easier. That's why Ohio State's been able to run the ball a lot more effectively. It's why Justin Fields has more time to throw. And so I think if we're going Ohio State's offensive line versus Bama's defensive line, that the clear edge here is Ohio State. Um, Bama does have, uh, I'm drawing a blank, Christian Barmore is a very, very good defensive lineman. Uh, but other than that, they haven't been a, a particularly strong unit. He he's tied for the team lead with seven sacks. He's very good, but they they've been just kind of kind of okay across the board the rest of the way from that defensive line. So against an offensive line of this magnitude, I think Ohio State has has a clear edge in this matchup. Yeah, and uh, the other interesting thing about Bama too is that they haven't uh, one one of their other big defensive reputations has been as a, a pass rusher factory and they they don't really have that elite pass rushing talent this year that they've had in recent years past um they are in terms of third in terms of like uh you know getting sacks on first and second down they're a top 25 team this year um but on you know just getting sacks generally or on obvious passing downs they're back uh below the or outside of the top 50 in college football this year, which is really atypical of, uh, of Bama. And then, you know, you compare that to Clemson, who coming into the game last uh, weekend was one of the very best teams at getting sacks on any down in college football, while Ohio State's pass protection this year, at least on paper, has not been very good. Um, they're actually able to handle it a lot, you know, mu- with much more grace than I think a lot of people expected. It'll be interesting to see how much Bama blitzes. I'm not really familiar with how much they have been blitzing this year. I would assume it wouldn't be that much because their um, their I mean their pass rushing totals just aren't that great. Or maybe they are blitzing a lot in garbage time, and that's why their defense has given up more points than usual, just because there's there's more space for teams to throw to in obvious throwing situations. I guess you could read it either way. I think they're gonna blitz a lot just based on what. <laughs> Just based on what we saw, like Clemson not blitz and how well Ohio State ran their offense, and then how like against Indiana there was a lot of blitzes and Ohio State's offense didn't look as good. Uh, I think there's a very clear contrast between those two games and how the defense was run against them. And if I'm Alabama's defensive coordinator, I am definitely sending the heat. I do well. I mean, I, we've said the same thing about Venables last weekend, and I mean everything about Clemson's transcript this year said that they were going to blitz Fields, and then just for whatever reason they didn't do it, and. I think that's a huge reason why they didn't win that football game. 
So that's, I mean, we all expected it to happen and it didn't end up happening. So that's the only reason I bring, bring it up on paper. It's absolutely the right thing to do. It's just going to be interesting to see if they actually do the things that they should do and, and need to be doing in order to win the game. Um, or if they're going to have success with it. And I, and I just, I don't know, even if, you know, it's one thing to, you know, just do something because it's, it's going to be effective. But like if Bama has been blitzing this year and they know that their blitz hasn't really been as effective as it needs to be, you know, it's, it, it would just be shooting themselves in the foot to send guys after fields when they know they're not going to be able to blitz well. And then, you know, they just end up getting picked apart because they leave their secondary and, man coverage or something and Ohio state's got guys coming on crossing routes. And the next thing, you know, Garrett Wilson's off to the races for 60 yards. So I, uh, it'd be, it'd be something I think that's worth taking a look at a bit more. Um, I, I hate to, you know, kind of make this the key to every game now, which is, you know, is how's fields going to handle the pressure, but in a game where I think it's just going to come down to who commits less turnovers, because it's probably going to be a shootout. Um, that is something that heavily factors into whether or not you think mistakes are going to be made. So if they can pressure fields the same way it was a big key for um, for Clemson, I think that that you know is is something that could pay directly into into Bama winning this game. But uh, if they haven't really been that great at it this year, which it seems like they're having a down year to, relative to the success they usually have, and if Ohio State carries over the pass protection momentum they had from last week. Uh, it's going to be really hard for Clemson to stop Ohio State on the ground or doing whatever else they want to do. Yeah, and then flipping the script, looking at the other side of the trenches, Ohio State's defensive line versus Bama's offensive line, I don't even know how we could really break this one down just based on the availability of Ohio State's defensive linemen. Uh, we've heard some rumors this week of some some players being out. We don't really know. Like We still don't even know if Zach Harrison or uh, Tyler Friday are going to be available for this game there's a chance they're missing those guys and more this week. So I don't even know how to really break this one down. I think if Ohio State was at full strength with every, like the, the, the best four this season, I think the, the best four you could put out there on any given down would be uh, Cooper and uh, Tyreek Smith at the ends and then Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai up the middle. And with those four guys out there, I think that's a clear advantage to Ohio State, even though Bama's offensive line is pretty good, just because Ohio State's defensive tackles have been so good. And then you've got Jonathan Cooper playing his best football he's played at Ohio State, and Tyreek Smith hitting another level these last few games. But we don't, we just don't really know which of those guys will be available for the game. There's been that that seems like the unit that's been hit the hardest at Ohio State with these COVID rumors and like with the past. Guys that have been out, like before the Big Ten Championship, we knew Chris Olave would be out. There was a rumor earlier that he would be. We kind of knew the guys that would be out for the Clemson game. And it seems like the rumors earlier in the week that that wind up always being true. So if, if the rumors we're hearing are true, Ohio State's going to be down a couple defensive linemen. And so that, that obviously changes the equation. And I don't really know how to, to weigh it like when we don't really know for sure what's happening. So I... Th- this one's a toss-up for me because I think in one area... Ohio State's definitely got the advantage. And then in the other area, Bama clearly has the advantage. You know, not even thinking about it from a personnel perspective in terms of who's available or not. Um, running the ball, Bama's good. Stopping the run, Ohio State is elite. Um, Bama, in terms of, you know, run blocking stats, their offensive line has had this year. Um, they, 
they rank in the top 10 in, I think, three of the six metrics that Football Outsiders looks at for offensive lines. Um, so they, I mean, they've been great this year, but Ohio State's defensive line ranks in the top 10 in, I think, four or five of the six same stats they track the opposite way for evaluating defensive lines. So Ohio State is, you know, upper echelon elite talent in a lot of these same areas in terms of stopping the run, whereas Bama, in terms of propping up the run, um, you know, getting a lot of the easy yards that are are there right away, um, you know, getting carries that are going for, you know, at least four yards or get to the line to gain that they need or whatnot, they are doing that you know, not as elite of a level as Ohio State is at stopping it. Conversely, with pass protection, uh, Bama's been pretty good. Um, Overall, very excellent. They have one of the 10 best surrendered sack rates in college football. It's like on non-garbage time pass attempts, they're only giving up a sack about 2.5% of the time. And that does not bode well for Ohio State, who – have had considerable struggles this year with pass rush, uh, particularly on early passing downs, but overall just has not been great. They've really missed, you know, they, and it's obviously, you know, kind of taken for granted when you got, have guys like the Bosa brothers or Chase Young for so many years, but the absence of an elite top tier pass rusher like that's really been apparent for Ohio State this year. And so while I, I feel great about the way that guys like Jonathan Cooper are playing lately, um, Tyreek Smith, I think, has been quietly really solid all season. Uh, Haskell Garrett and Togi, I obviously have been the two you know biggest names on this defensive line this year. But I, I, like, the, I like their ability to stop the run, but their, the pass rush has just been so lackluster compared to what they've had in years past and Bama's been so good at mitigating that this year that I, I think that the edge here pretty clearly goes to Alabama. I think that if Zach Harrison was closer to, you know, that that Chase Young Bosa status at this point that I think some people expected him to be, and I think he's still what a he's still a sophomore, redshirt sophomore possibly, so he's still got some development to do. But without that elite pass rusher. And I, I don't think that it's really close. I think Bama's definitely got the advantage. I think between the two offensive lines, Ohio State definitely has the better one. But I would I would definitely say that in the trench comparison, that Bama's offensive line has the edge over Ohio State's uh, big uglies on defense. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I could I could see it going either way. I'm not I'm not super super enamored with uh, having Ohio State as the advantage there. But we'll agree to disagree. Either way, um, <laughs> we're going a little long, so I think we just kind of group the back seven just because i was going to probably give them both to the same team anyway fair enough um i think alabama clearly has the advantage in the back seven just because of the 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 star power they kind of have back there uh their linebackers are very very good which is kind of the reason why i think they're going to blitz a lot guys like dylan moses and christian harris uh both very good they both lead the team in tackles at 73 and 70 respectively uh at safety they have jordan battle a former ohio state commit who decommitted once urban left and then, obviously, the star of that secondary is Patrick Sertain, who's going to be likely the first corner off the board. And then just comparing that to what Ohio State has on that side of the ball, 
Ohio State's linebackers have been solid. Pete Werner's been very good. Uh, we all know our, our best friend, Tuff Borland, in the middle. And then Justin Hilliard's been playing off the walls. I just don't think that, you know, as we've talked about at other positions, the consistency at Alabama has definitely been more striking than it has been at Ohio State. And then we've talked about all year, the Buckeyes secondary has been kind of suspect. You know, these guys have gotten better. Sean Wade got kind of toasted against Clemson, but and he's going to have a much, much harder uh, matchup this week against Devonta Smith. But, you know, he's he's obviously one of the top corners in the country still, according to, you know, scouts and all that jazz. But, you know, Seven Banks has gotten better. They're kind of figuring out in the secondary still with Williamson and Proctor at the safety spots. But I just think in terms of star power, Bama's got more guys and more consistency back there, even though earlier in the year they let up almost 700 yards to Ole Miss. But I think they've kind of kind of fixed a lot of those issues, and they're, they're playing better. They're not an elite back seven by any stretch of the imagination, but they do have some elite guys back there that can make some big plays. Yeah, I, I, they're, they're, it's definitely similar to Ohio State, I think, in terms of they – they have to deal with a lot of the same problems when you're evaluating them uh, with respect to they're facing stress tests from de- from opposing offenses so often that it's kind of hard to get a good glimpse of, you know, how good are they really? Um, you could definitely say that, I think, in the case of the, of the secondary, just because they get so far ahead so many times. And then they've got, you know, with not being as sharp on defense as they used to, you get more garbage time points let up, but the game's already so far out of reach at that point. It's like, do they really screw up that bad anyway? Obviously, it's a little different for a game that they've played like Ole Miss where, you know, the game is just a shootout from start to finish. Um, but they, it's, it's tough to, I think, evaluate them accurately because of that. I will say, I think that they – not maybe not as much anymore now that Kirby Smart is gone, but I always thought that they were just pretty consistently, whether it was on the line or in the back seven. Bama just it always felt like their players were the best coach defensive guys and that they knew what their assignments were, where they were gonna have to be on a given play relative to where the other team was lining up, what the situation was where the line to gain was, what the angle they were going to have to take to meet a guy on the edge was. They were just all technically sound, competent defenders, and that's why it just made it so hard to score points on them. One of the reasons that I felt reasonably good about Ohio State being able to run on Clemson was because Clemson's linebackers, they just play with total reckless abandon. And, I mean, you saw it on the hit Skalski had on fields where, I mean, you compared it to the hit that almost – or the hit that did end Ryan Shazier's playing career in the NFL. I mean, the guys, you know, further than just talking about tackling form, I mean, these are guys that would just barrel into the line in, in times where they knew that the run was going to be obvious. And they would just, you know, create – They were just basically trying to create traffic jams. It hardly ever looked like they were, you know, trying to fill in a running lane and seek out the tackle. They were just barreling into the scrum trying to, you know, make a problem that hopefully someone else was going to clean up or maybe the problem would run right into them and they get a tackle. You don't get that sense from Bama. They play with a lot more patience and just controlled aggression they're not just going to sell themselves out in an obvious situation. Um, I think that there's times where they definitely like you know dedicate to covering one spot of the field more than another part. There were parts of that game against Notre Dame where it felt like they were just kind of letting them have the the open part of the field, 
Um, and then as the game started to get further away from them, and they and this was smart to their credit because they knew that they didn't really have the talent on the outside to match up. They started taking away the middle of the field and making it, you know, if 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 Notre Dame was going to come back and win, they were going to have to throw out to the edge and the sidelines. And Ian Book was just not as as good with getting the ball out there versus to you know tight ends in the middle of the field where they're usually a bit more comfortable uh, putting it. So I they anyway. My point is, Bama, they, they play a lot smarter than Clemson does. I think they're probably going to have more success defending Ohio State than Clemson did. Um, I would agree with you, just based on the struggles we've seen from Ohio State's secondary this year. Um, and, it, you know, if we were doing linebackers straight up, I might give the edge to Ohio State if they had their rotation figured out correctly. You know, interpret that how you will. But yeah, I think if you're lumping the seven, the back seven together and comparing the two, you definitely have to give it to Bama. Just not only on the you know overall talent factor, but just based on experience and just you know doing the right things. I, I think it's pretty clearly them, no contest. It's pretty funny too because when you pair compare statistically Bama's defense to Clemson's, Clemson has a superior defense, even including like last week's games where Clemson let up a ton of yards to Ohio State. Clemson's ranked number 15 in total defense, whereas Bama's 32. Uh, they're ranked number 41 in passing defense, Clemson is, and Bama's number 79 this season. And and this is that's including a game where Clemson let Justin Fields throw for 380 yards and six touchdowns. So statistically, this isn't as good of a defense as Clemson's is, but they, they seem like they have more star players, and I don't know if it's just a product of, you know, maybe playing in a bit of a stronger SEC than the ACC or what have that you. That is but what it is. <laughs> I think that's definitely what it is. But they are. <laughs> they're, they're sound. They're not the team that let up a billion yards to Ole Miss. They're, they're a good defense. They're a national championship defense. And they're going to be a, a tough assignment for Justin Fields and the boys. Certainly. All right. Well, uh, in lieu of doing a kicker comparison, because I'm not sure who we're going to have available for that game either, truth be told. Um, just do a light, light, light prediction. Uh, I guess, uh, I, I don't know. You don't, you don't have to hard cap yourself into this. You can, you know, change it. You, you know, it doesn't have to be speak now or forever hold your peace. But at this moment, Gene, how are you feeling this game works out? Uh, I'm a little concerned about the COVID issues. Um, I don't think it's really going to be something that completely change the outcome of the game like i don't think it's gonna be something where ohio state gets blown out because they're missing their entire team i don't think we're even close to that uh ryan day didn't seem overly concerned about it in his presser although he never really seems overly concerned about anything he's a pretty pretty even keeled guy for the most part um but i think it's gonna be a good game i do think these are the two best teams in the country they both deserve to be here they're both pretty evenly matched you just saw us go through all the position groups ohio state has an edge in some spots Bama has an edge in some spots. We don't even agree in some spots where one team has the edge or not. So they're they're pretty evenly matched. Um, and I think it's going to be a high-scoring game because I don't think, you know, Nick Saban said earlier this year that defense doesn't win championships in college football anymore, and he's absolutely correct. And neither of these teams have really been all-stars on defense. There's no there's no Chase Youngs and Jeff Okudas out there for the most part. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of points put up in this game. I think the Vegas line is like 75 or 77. So most people expect this to be high-scoring. Uh, to this point on this podcast, I haven't picked Ohio State to lose, and I haven't been wrong yet. So uh, why why fix it if it ain't broken? I'm going to pick the Buckeyes to win again in a high-scoring game. I'm going to say final score 
uh, 49-42. I think both teams just keep putting up points, and the first team to really, you know, get a stop or, or make a big mistake could really, really change the outcome of the game. And uh, I think Ohio State's been been ready to go. I think Justin Fields is healthy enough to put up a similar performance we saw against Clemson. And uh, I like the Buckeyes. It's um, hearing Saban say that this season was crazy just because I you know remember growing up. Um, he, he was just consistently the guy that was putting together the defense that would strike fear in the heart of any man or any any football fan uh it it was crazy and you know for you don't especially with football coaches they get so stuck in their ways particularly the successful ones because obviously you know you you rely on what works and what's been successful for you 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 don't see coaches not only alter but have a complete shift in their perspective on the way that you you know define success in the sport that you're, you know, recognized as one of the best minds at ever. I mean, it was, it was one of the most blindsiding quotes I think I've ever heard from any coach, but Saban was totally right. I don't necessarily like it that much. I'm, I'm more of a football purist in the sense that I like to see, you know, two teams that are complete play a complete game rather than, Unfortunately, what I think we're probably going to see Monday night, which is just a, a straight-up shootout between two teams that have elite offenses, but the defenses are not nearly as measured up by comparison. Um, and I think the rules have been slanted towards that a little bit as well. Um, but, I mean, I there's still things I don't like about Nick Saban and Bama, but that I had, I gained a lot of respect for him when I heard that quote, just because I don't know of any other coach in major sports that I've heard completely shift their perspective like that in terms of their approach to execution and winning and, you know, to do it at an elite level and to, you know, replicate similar success they've had in the past. So that, Saban's absolutely one of the best guys that's ever coached football, um, you know, for better or worse. So I hopefully he just lets Ohio State have one on uh, on Monday night. But I, you know, I picked Ohio State to lose 31-21 to Clemson. Obviously, it didn't end up happening. But the thing that I said, you know, contextualizing that was that I still think Ohio State can very much win this game. You know, it's just a matter of them doing the things that we pointed out they needed to do that we hadn't really seen them do all year. Turns out they did absolutely everything that we suggested, and they ended up absolutely whooping the dog poop out of Clemson. Um, so this this week, I think that there's you know less mistakes that they have to correct. It's just more a matter of them you know executing correctly. Um, I don't anticipate Sean Wade's going to be able to contain Devonta Smith. I mean, maybe he's been, maybe the whole thing, this whole season has just been building up to a Sean Wade redemption arc where he gets toasted by almost every team's receiver in garbage time. And then miraculously holds Devonta Smith to two catches in the national championship. So it's all, it's all a long con, just like Ohio yeah. State didn't throw to their tight ends until Clemson. Sean Wade has purposely looked bad all year to give Devonta Smith a false sense of security. And he's going to come out firing on Monday. That has been the trend for this whole season. So I'm just, Hey, you know, I'm just pointing things out as I see them. Um, but 
I short of that happening, um, I mean, they, I I don't see Bama needing to run the ball much to move the ball much. I don't think that they're going to be able to run a lot. I think that they're going to be able to throw and dial up to basically whoever they want, uh, particularly if Tough Borland is on the field for a lot of the early throwing downs. Um, I don't anticipate Ohio State's going to be able to generate much of any pressure. I, I, I think Bama's going to pretty much score on just about every drive where they touch the ball. I mean, some of those are going to be touchdowns. Some of them are going to be field goals. But I would be shocked if we see the punter for Bama more than three times in this game. I would be very, very shocked. I think Ohio State's probably going to put up an equally impressive amount of points. Um, the offense, especially coming off the last game, looked played their best game of the year against the best defense that they were facing. Um, Sermon does not have a full season of, you know, work that, you know, could be weighing him down like it would normally running back at this stage of the year. Uh, he, so I would, I'd say he's definitely got, you know, fresher legs and is, I mean, he's looked absolutely great the last two games. Um, if Ohio State is going to win this game, they need to be out in front, I think, early and for you know pretty much the entirety. They're going to have to be in a position where they can feed Sermon the ball and not let Bama get the ball back right away and just you know put up points at you know Blitzkrieg pace. If that happens, I think they end up winning. It's the same thing with the last game where the path to victory, I think, goes through Sermon more so than it goes through Fields, is that you've got to keep the other guys or the other team's offense off of the field. And I, I don't feel great about that happening, um, I but I do think that Ohio State's going to score in equally impressive fashion that Bama does. But I think it's going to come down to really a one-score game um, unfortunately, I see a very similar scenario to what happened last year where Fields has a chance to take the team down the field to win. And, uh, you know, he just ends up making his first mistake of the game. And that ends up proving the difference just by unfortunate timing. Um, that ends up being the difference between winning and losing for these two teams. So I'm going to say eh, this would be a hell of a game. Uh, but I'm going to go 45-42 Bama. I, I think we're going to push for 90 between these two teams. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I, I I would I would bet the over. Although every time I say this, like it's gonna it's probably gonna wind up being like a 21-17 game. We're all gonna be like, what the hell just happened? But. <laughs> Uh, you know, because nothing ever goes how you expect it. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited. It should be a fun game. You know, can't can't complain about playing the national championship. This t- season was obviously a success either way. It's way more successful if you come away as the victors. But considering everything that's happened this season and the fact that we almost didn't have football at all, we're very lucky to be where we are today. And I'm I'm looking forward to doing the game. No, and I would I would hope most Ohio State fans share that perspective. Um, you know, none of none of what happened this year was a given. Um, weren't really supposed to get a season at all. And um, I, at that, at the time it wasn't happening. I mean, obviously it doesn't feel great to lose something that's been a reliable fall tradition in your life since you were a a child. But um, I really more than anything felt for the players, just knowing that they, all the work that they put in, um, you know, not even before the season. I mean, from the time that you decide to enroll in college and play college football and, 
you know, all the work that you put in, not only as a student, but, you know, going to all your workouts and practice and, and the games and waiting your time to play on the bench while you're an underclassman, if you're not getting in right away and just all, all the combined individual, eh, individual efforts of all these guys that could have just potentially been wasted immediately. And I, I'm just very grateful for their sake that, the the craziness of what happened in 2020 did not it may have impacted how much and and the ways in which they you know got to have their work pay off but the fact that they still got to have a season and are now getting the opportunity to play for a title which i know is something that was probably one of the main reasons a lot of them went to ohio state to begin with um, that's that's pretty special. So I would I would just say, regardless of what whatever the outcome is, you know, whether it's forty four nothing Ohio State or forty four nothing Bama, um, just you know, remember who really has been affected by this season directly more than anybody, and and be happy for them. And uh, you know, if you're be be grateful that you know Ohio State got the the Clemson Tiger off their back because uh, I think that really more than anything was probably the most important thing that happened this year in the grand scheme of Ohio State football versus a national championship that will inevitably have asterisk next to it when people say oh well they changed the rules so you could get in the postseason and all that other stuff. So just, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan, try to have some perspective regardless of what happens on Monday. But, you know, stay stay positive regardless. Like I said about how I would I would bask in the Dabo Sweeney hate in the if we would beat Clemson, I would I will bask in the same hate of everyone saying that's an asterisk if Ohio State wins. So, you know, you, you could put your asterisk on it all you want, but if they win the title, I, I am celebrating like they won a title because they did. Well, the I think I think the asterisk thing is a little bit more justified versus Dabo just being you know a, a incompetent and stupid. Um, that's that's something where you know you don't have to pull any punches on that. You don't need any perspective to see that Dabo is an idiot. So agreed. But what do I know? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we before we go in on Dabo any further, that's probably a good place to wrap. Hopefully, I'm once again incorrect in in my cautious prediction and uh, Gene's bold confidence is once again rewarded. Um, But we should be back, I think, with one more show after Monday just to kind of debrief what happens, whatever happens. Uh, So you can expect that sometime in the uh, middle of next week, I believe. But yeah, otherwise, until then, uh, Gene, it's been a pleasure going through uh, the games that we did get this year with you. I know we had some some weird cancellations and stuff along the way, so it uh, you know, it's been a bit of a bumpy ride. But I've uh, I have enjoyed continuing the the legacy of this podcast that uh, Patrick Mayhorn and, and others have uh, kept going through land grant for so many years. So it's been uh, it's been fun to pick up the mantle with you and hopefully we'll have one more good show with uh, good things to talk about next week but uh thanks for taking the reins with me and uh, it's been a good time yeah of course it's been fun you know we've got uh gotten pretty much as much as we could have asked for obviously we didn't get the maximum amount of games with uh, everything that's gone on this year but you know we we got to cover it all the way up to a national title so it's been 
a good ride. Uh, even up to the last, you know, there's been uh, national championship postponement rumors earlier in the week, which don't seem to be true. But even down to the bitter end, we got, you know, a, a kind of shaky schedule with the podcast. So I feel like we've done a good job getting getting everything out with the way that everything has gone as the world crumbles around us. But um, other than that, you know, Ohio State's good. They're always going to be good. And uh, go Bucks. Well, it wouldn't be the end of the 2020 football season without another potential cancellation. So knock on wood, we'll hope everything holds and that everyone stays healthy. But uh, assuming all that, we will be back next Wednesday uh, with the final episode of Hangout in the Holy Land for the 2020 football season. So for Gene Ross, I'm George Eisner. Thank you very much for tuning in. And uh, we'll be back in your ear next week. Go Bucks, beat Bama, and uh, take care, folks. Stay safe. <laughs>